You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, probably don't need me to list off last week's supreme atrocities for you, but I'm going to anyway. There was the decision handed down by the Supreme Court last week, ending affirmative action in college admissions. My advice, shift to class-based affirmative action. I support race-based affirmative action because of course I do. And fuck Clarence Thomas because of course fuck Clarence Thomas. But shifting to class-based affirmative action will accomplish a lot of what race-based affirmative action did while helping enough fucking poor white people to make it politically bulletproof. Last week, the court also threw out Biden's student loan forgiveness plan, which was cheered by dozens of Republican politicians who'd had their PPP loans forgiven themselves. And in a category all by itself for reasons I'm about to get into, the decision in 303 Creative. The Supreme Court ruled in 303 Creative that discriminating against gay people is constitutional, at least discriminating against gay couples, but only for religious bigots, which is ironic since gay anti-discrimination statutes weren't designed to protect us from cosmetologists. They were designed to protect gay people from religious bigots. Saying laws that ban discrimination against gay people don't apply to people with sincerely held religious beliefs is like saying that laws banning discrimination against black people don't apply to people who can justify their bigotry by pointing to their deep-seated racial animus. Now, we expected this court to kick a hole in anti-discrimination laws that protect gay people. Everybody saw this coming. But what we didn't expect, because nobody ever expects the imaginary gay couple— Now, the Lovecast, of course, is not a law and politics podcast. I am not a lawyer for legal analysis. Listen to Amicus with Dahlia Lithwick. Listen to Emily Bazelon on the Slate Political Gab Fest. Read Chris Geidner's Law Dork Substack. But I know enough about the law to know what standing is. Standing gives someone the legal right to bring a case to court, to stand in court. You got to be able to show that you were wronged somehow that you've suffered some loss or harm. That's what gives you standing. You can't go to court. You certainly can't take something all the way to the Supreme Court because you have all the feels. Unless you're a Christian wedding website designer whose complaint tickles the erogenous zone of enough conservative justices on the Supreme Court. In 303 Creative, a woman who didn't own a business creating websites for weddings but wanted to open one someday maybe, She claimed a gay couple reached out to ask her before she opened her business about maybe making a website for their gay wedding, which is crazy for a lot of reasons. First, this woman, Lori Smith, hadn't opened her business yet. She was only thinking about opening her business. So this gay couple, two men she named, Mike and Stuart, they must have been psychic. How else do you choose someone to provide services for your wedding who's only thinking about providing services for weddings? More craziness, Lori Smith is a terrible designer. If you've seen her aesthetic, her live, love, laugh, it's wine o'clock somewhere, plaque on your mom's wall aesthetic. Yeah, no gay couple would hire her to design their wedding website. A gay couple wouldn't let her bag their groceries. But here's the most amazing, craziest thing. Not only isn't there a business yet, there was no gay couple Stewart, the person Smith identified as the gay man who asked her to design a wedding website for his gay wedding, Stewart is already married, not to a man named Mike, not to an Adam, not to a Steve. The Stewart Smith identified in her lawsuit as the guy who came to her for the website for his gay wedding is already married to a woman. And Stewart is a web designer himself. So if he needed a wedding website for the gay wedding he was never going to have because he's not gay and he's already married to a woman, he wouldn't have to hire a lying, dim-witted, talentless bigot. This is being reported now by the Washington Post, by CNN, that Smith not only never had standing, that she had never been harmed, but that she made it all up. How did no one 
do this reporting? How did no one check her story out before her case made it all the way to the Supreme Court? How did the lawyers on the other side for the state of Colorado, whose anti-discrimination law Smith wanted to violate so bad she couldn't wait to open her business before she started discriminating against gay people? She was so anxious to start discriminating against gay people, she had to make gay people up to discriminate against. How did no one find this out before it went all the way to and through the Supreme Court? Smith listed Stewart's phone number in her lawsuit, and no one thought to give Stewart a call until after the decision came down. The Supreme Court took Smith's case because she had a feeling, a bad feeling about gay people. And she took a hypothetical. What would happen if she opened her business and some gay person wanted to hire her all the way to the Supreme Court, which was only too happy to entertain her hypothetical since it opened the door to discriminating against gay people. After feelings, what's next before the court? Auras? Vibes? Padam, padam, those are shivers and butterflies you're feeling, but are they constitutional shivers and butterflies? Alito, Thomas, Kavanaugh, Barrett, Gorsuch, and Roberts say no. Secretary Pete, formerly Mayor Pete, Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, had this to say about 303 Creative over the weekend on Sunday on Face the Nation. What's really revealing is that there's no evidence that this web designer was ever even approached by a same-sex couple looking for services to support their wedding. So you're seeing more and more of these cases and these circumstances that uh, are designed to get people spun up and designed to chip away at rights. And I think the bigger picture here, when you look at the uh, Supreme Court taking away a woman's right to choose, uh, you look at Friday's decision diminishing the equality of, uh, of same-sex couples, uh, you look at a number of the decisions that have been made. They pose a question that is even deeper than these big cases. And the question is this, did we just live to see the high watermark of freedoms and rights in this country before they were gradually taken away? Hearing Buttigieg say that reminded me of something I read almost four decades ago when I first came out. Because there has been a tremendous increase in societal acceptance of gay people, those without historical perspective imagine this acceptance to be permanent and likely to increase with time. Unfortunately, cultural tolerance is like an ocean tide. It can reach a high water mark and then recede out of sight. Donald Vining, a writer, a playwright, a dramatist, a diarist, said that in the 1970s. He was talking about Nazi Germany. In the 1920s, gay people in big cities in Germany, particularly Berlin, were freer than gay people had been for almost two millennia, freer than gay people were anywhere in the world at that time. Gender nonconforming and trans people had also found some degree of safety and community and freedom. And a decade later, all those gay people, trans people, were being rounded up and thrown into concentration camps and prisons. Things aren't as bad as that right here, right now. But there are scary parallels. Book bans, trans panic, right-wing thugs marching in the streets, attacks on gay bars, people waving swastika flags outside synagogues. And then, as now, there are gays working to put fascists in power, which makes them fascists. The gay fascists back then, they wound up just as imprisoned, just as exiled, and just as dead as all the other gay people the Nazis could get their hands on. A lesson from history, a historical perspective that the gay people working today right now, even still, for Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis and Tucker Carlson, refuse to learn. To see how bad it could get, watch the shattering new documentary El Dorado on Netflix. It's about a queer club in Berlin in the 20s and the people who frequented it. People who felt free to be who they were and to be publicly out in the Weimar Republic in Germany in the 20s after the First World War. And then what happened to them after the Nazis came to power? The tide went out and they were stranded. Now, comparing social tolerance to a tide, comparing freedom to a tide may not be helpful as an analogy because what can you do about tides? You can't fight them. You can only ride them out. But fascists, unlike tides, are not a force of nature and they can be defeated. The Nazis were defeated. The deck here in the United States stacked in the favor of conservatives, far right, right, and center right. The Supreme Court, the Senate, the Electoral College. So we're going to have to fight harder than they do. We're going to have to want it more. We have to want freedom more than they want power. Our game like our wedding website designers, has to be better than theirs. 
All right, shifting gears for just a second, we've curated a new collection of classic hump films just for you. The Hump Hardcore lineup features the best BDSM hump films from the first 17 years. Roleplay, leather, latex, DS, pup play, and more. Streaming now at humpfilmfest.com. And it would mean a lot to me and the hump filmmakers if you helped spread the word. Meta just deactivated Hump's Instagram account. Instagram was where a lot of people found out about Hump or kept up with Hump. So now, more than ever, Hump is relying on word of mouth. All Hump filmmakers get a cut of ticket sales, so not only do you get to enjoy a night of hot and hilarious and deeply humanizing porn films, porn that's ethically made, you also get the warm feeling inside that comes from supporting the artists who make Hump happen. Go to humpfilmfest.com for your streaming pass today, and while you're on the website, sign up to get the Hump newsletter for updates and deals. And now, coming up on today's show on the micro, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and all the questions on today's show, kink questions. It's a kinkathon, a kink stravaganza, a kinkapalooza. And joining me on the Magnum, Molina Williams, the kink doula herself, co-author of Plays Well with Others, is here to offer some great advice to some baby kinksters out there. All that coming up on today's show. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Dipsy. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. Get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com savage. This episode is brought to you by Talkspace, therapy made easy. Get $80 off your first month when you go to talkspace.com savage. This episode of The Lovecast is brought to you by the good folks at Squarespace. They make it easy to build a beautiful website, blog, or online store. Head on over to squarespace.com slash savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SAVAGE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey Dan, 29-year-old Polly, a non-binary bisexual here. I recently told an ex that I want to get back together with him. We broke up seven or eight years ago. I ended things in a way that really surprised him. Basically, we were still in love with each other. We'd been together for a year and a half, really happy but we were temporarily forced to live apart due to visa problems. I didn't want to leave where I lived and my parents were getting divorced, which gave me a really negative view of relationships. And we were both depressed for different reasons. Really quickly, really suddenly things changed and I ended it and like cut and run. He made it clear for a long, long time that he wanted to get back together with me for for years. Um, And then I recently found out that he even moved to a country quite close to me in Europe in the hopes that that would make me feel more comfortable trying things again with him. Anyway, that didn't happen, obviously, Um, and we only got to meet up properly a few months ago, and we met up, and I realised I still totally love him. I had all the same feelings come back from when we were together. I thought about it seriously for like a few months before speaking to him about it, because I was aware how significant that would be if I said that. Um, And um, I told him, and he said the same. And then we met up for a week last week and we still just a bit obsessed with each other. I really want to get back with him. But while I'm in a poly relationship with someone I've been with for a year, about a year and a half and we're really old friends, um, it's a good relationship. But he's in a monogamous one. He's told her about our conversations and she said maybe she'd be okay with don't ask, don't tell. But he doesn't think she would be really and he doesn't. I'm not sure he's okay with keeping things from her like that, from what he said. So basically, if we were to get together, it would be probably each of us visiting each other for like a long weekend each month for at least a couple of years, and then we can see if anything needs to change. But is this just a shit show? Is this like going back to something that shouldn't go back to? Am I destable in his life when he's just got like a two-year relatively solid relationship even though he's kind of expressed there might be problems with that relationship i'm just not sure what to do how can i be a good person and not just cause him more misery even though i really want to be with him i don't know you don't have to make any big changes right now you're in a poly relationship you're allowed to date other people he had the decency to go to his partner the woman he's with now and ask if it was possible for him to see someone else we only have your characterization of that conversation to go on. I can't imagine it was a very calm conversation. Maybe his current partner 
very calmly and coolly said, well, we could do that perhaps with a DADT, or maybe it involved a lot of tears and screaming and yelling before that option was reluctantly tossed out onto the table. But right now you don't have to make any big moves. You can sleep with other people. He has perhaps reluctantly, perhaps this is a kind of put adjacent situation, his current partner's permission under DADT strictures to maybe fuck you on the side. And if logistically you two can only be together every once in a while for a weekend, well then for now, do that. But if in the end you are who he prefers to be with and would rather be with, and he is who you would rather be with, do the right-ish thing or the right adjacent thing and end the relationship you're in now so that you can go be with him. And he should, obviously, if there are problems in his current relationship and DADT really, some people can make that work for decades and decades. Rarely does DADT work when it's one person, someone with a DADT hall pass is sleeping with and they have feelings for. That isn't going to work out long term for this guy and his current girlfriend in their monogamous, nominally monogamous committed relationship. I would encourage you, perhaps, I would encourage you to think about a couple of visits just to make sure that your feelings for him are what you believe them to be, that he is the person or one of the people or the primary person that you would like to be with and that he feels the same way about you. I don't think you can know that for sure after one weekend back together after how many years apart post-breakup. But in the end, rather than trying to keep everything that you've got, you keeping the partnership that you have now, him keeping the monogamous relationship he's in now, you may have to, if it's together you want to be, you may have to choose each other. Before you do that, before you break your partner's heart, by ending that poly relationship, and sometimes poly relationships do need to end, and before he breaks his partner's heart, which he will need to do if he's going to want to fuck other people on the regular or another person, you, on the regular because his partner wants monogamy, before you do that, do your screw diligence. Make sure that it wasn't just the passion of being reunited that made you think that he's who you want to be with long term, but that you actually do want each other. And then pick each other, be with each other, and let the people you're with now go. Hi, Dan. Mid-30s, bi girl here. Just wondering what the etiquette is to have someone or ask someone to go down on you after they came inside you. Like, for instance, if they came, but you haven't. Etiquette dictates that you say, please, would you go down on me now after you've come inside me? I haven't come yet. Would you please go down on me? Reality, though, there are lots of guys out there who are turned on by the idea of eating their own cum or being allowed to eat their own cum or forced to eat their own cum until the moment they've actually come. And then their interest in eating their own cum, if that's part of what would go on here, if he's going down on you after he comes in you, a cream pie situation, yeah, that interest tends to evaporate. It ejaculates out of the room at about the same rate that the ejaculate comes flying out of a guy's dick. Also, when somebody, a male somebody in particular, enters his refractory period, there is a sudden drop-off in desire and an interest for sex. Things that were sexy pre-ejaculation, like the thought of eating your own cum, post-ejaculation are just not sexy, not a turn on. That's not a guy being selfish. That's a guy in the throes of his refractory period. Some people's refractory periods are longer than others. Some people's refractory periods involve a kind of disgust with any further sexual contact or activities. Some guys don't. There are some guys who wouldn't be able to go down on you, who would need 15 minutes or an hour and then circle back and go down on you. Some guys could do it right away. So you're free to ask. Just don't be too surprised if you get a no, which is why I think you may be better off prioritizing your pleasure and your first orgasm before he has his pathetic one-shot, one-and-done orgasm. Make sure 
he's gone down on you, gotten you off, gotten you there, gotten you close enough that if you want to shift to PIV sex, that he's done the work to get you close enough onto that orgasmic plateau where then you can finish using your own fingers during PIV. But yeah, yeah, of course you can ask somebody to go down on you after they've come or come inside you. You can ask for anything that you want. Just understand that a guy, after a guy comes, sort of hardwired, many of them, to be just not into it. Anything, including things that center their own pleasure, including things about their dick, not into anything for a little bit. There's no harm or shame in breaking for some ice cream and then returning to the sack to get the other person off if the other person didn't get off during the activities that went down before he had his pathetic orgasm and you two had your ice cream break. But you should definitely, absolutely advocate for your own pleasure. And if you didn't get off and he didn't, that didn't register somehow, tell him and tell him what it is that he needs to do to get you off. And then maybe you can do it right then, right after he came or maybe after the ice cream. Work is so boring. Gotta take a break. Let's see if there's anything new on Dipsy. Oh, Jesus. Found in the leather and lace section? Sebastian and Benj from Leather and Lace find you waiting for them in the dungeon. They want this to last a while, so they take things nice and slow, but that doesn't mean they'll be gentle. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. Dipsy has stories for straight and queer listeners, and 56% of stories are voice acted by people of color. And these voice actors are my heroes. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and useful workshops like self-massage, massage for a partner, breathwork exercises, a sexting tutorial, and tons of other classes and sexy stories that you can read. Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or heat things up with a partner or the whole squad. For listeners of the show, Dipsy's offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com savage. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com savage. Hi, Dan and team. Do you have any advice for a switch who never really explored either being truly submissive or fully dominant, but has dabbled in a bit of one or the other with different partners? My particular issue is I don't like the humiliation and degradation most people seem to think is required for playing with power dynamics, giving or receiving. If I'm being completely honest, I don't even want to be in the same room with that kind of play. Even when I made these hard boundaries clear on my FetLife profile, I found myself bombarded by people trying to push me into being someone I'm not. How do you think I should go about finding and vetting potential future mentors and or partners? It sucks when people don't listen. You know, people want what they want. They want what turns them on. A lot of people into power exchange, into dom-sub play, also enjoy humiliation and degradation. And you're making it clear on your profile that you are not interested in humiliation or degradation. And then some people are self-nominating to play with you and wanting to get into a power exchange scenario or situation with you and then hoping that you'll go there, maybe for them, maybe at their request. And that's disrespectful. So I would encourage you, if this keeps happening, if this happens again and again, whatever you have on your profile about your disinterest in humiliation and degradation, make it more emphatic. I am into power exchange. Friendly, smiley, affable. Somebody's in control, somebody's in charge, but I am not into humiliation, degradation. I am not the person that you want to play with if you are into either of those things. Just make it more abundantly clear. Emphasize it. Make it emphatic. You may still wind up in situations with people who are into power exchange, also into humiliation and degradation. Maybe they went into playing with you without, you know, premeditation. They weren't 
thinking that they were going to try to also get a little humiliation and degradation play in around the edges. They were conscious of your boundaries and they lost themselves in the moment and asked for something or said something because they were just caught up in their own erotic script. And that can happen. And then you push back. You say, hey, not into that. How do they react? Do they go, oh, shit, sorry, right. No, people read each other's profiles, get together with people, play with people, and sometimes forget. And sometimes the forgetting is a little bit of dickful thinking or clipful thinking, but it's not always the forgetting malicious or manipulative on their part. So in addition to making your profile more emphatic, a little grace when you're in the moment with somebody and they try to direct the scene in that direction, can they course correct? When you restate your boundaries and make it clear that you're not interested, do they apologize and drop it? And then they don't make another attempt at that? Or do they sulk? Do they whine? Do they pout? Or make another attempt? If it's the latter, if they instantly course correct, well, that's a person who made a mistake during play, who lost themselves in play for a moment, but you're safe playing with and isn't going to go there again. If they whine, sulk, pout, call it off because that's somebody who's manipulative. That's somebody who cares more about the scene that they wish they were in with an imaginary idealized play partner for them than they care about the scene they're actually enjoying with the play partner that is you. I recommend therapy all the time on this show, but I know it's difficult to make the time to find a good therapist. Also difficult to afford a good therapist. That's why if you're thinking about therapy and time or money or issues, try Talkspace. By doing everything online, Talkspace has made getting the help you need easy, accessible, and affordable. When you've met your therapy goals or simply want to cancel, Talkspace has a simple cancellation process and will work with you to get a prorated refund for unused time if applicable. At Talkspace.com, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. It's incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions with your licensed therapist from the comfort of your own home. There's no need to commute to appointments, miss time at work, line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. It's also the number one online therapy platform with licensed therapists in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, substance abuse, relationship issues, and much more. Talkspace is affordable and in-network with most major insurers. And as a listener of this podcast, you will get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash savage. That's Talkspace.com slash savage. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. I am a 38-year-old bisexual woman living on the East Coast, and I have a question about friendship. I was recently living close to a friend during the pandemic, and I had moved there from a busy metropolitan area after I separated from my initial partner. They had invited me and said, hey, you know, like, come out here, don't pay rent, like, just come stay with me. And I did this. This was after a really bad breakup, a year and a half after moving, I made a wild decision and decided to get my nipples pierced as well as my clitoral hood. After doing so, I told my friend about it, the one who I was living with um, previously, though I did, again, have a separate apartment at this point. And she wanted to see, we talked about how crazy it was. I was such a badass. I felt like a badass, whatever. Many months later, um, probably about six months after the fact, I was seeing someone. I invited her and her boyfriend over to my home after asking her, you know, messaging her and saying, hey, I need to change out this jewelry in my clitoral hood. Can you please help me? It's a really delicate space. And you're the only person I trust to ask. And, you know, it just, I felt comfortable doing that. And they, my friend said, absolutely, no problem. It's not a big deal at all. And I, you know, of course, that's what I expected. I would have never asked if I didn't expect to hear that back. So anyway, my friend and her boyfriend came over for dinner. At the end of the night, I asked my friend to come help me because she offered to help me change out my jewelry. And she shook her head vigorously. And I felt really uncomfortable because, of course, my partner at the time knew what I was asking. And I assume hers did too. So the next day she texted me and said, hey, this is going to be awkward, but my boyfriend asked me not to help you. Um, you know, my first question was, why did you tell your boyfriend what you were going to do for me? And then my second question was, but why? Like, why did he not want you to? And 
you know, the argument was given that this person was not polyamorous and that I was, but I don't understand how that makes any sense. You know, I didn't ask my best friend to finger me to orgasm. I just wanted to help me screw a ball onto the end of a bar. I could not understand what the problem was. The conversation went back and forth. And over the course of a couple of weeks, we got to the point where we're no longer speaking. And that was the end of September. And I'm now in about mid-June. And my best friend and I are no longer speaking. So my question for you, Dan, is am I the asshole? Am I being a problem? Should I continue waiting on this person to make an apology? Or should I try to reach out and be apologetic. I, I, again, I don't feel like I did anything wrong, but I really appreciate an outsider's perspective who is not biased. You can think it's no big deal for your friend to change your clitoral hood piercing for you. I can think it's no big deal. Your friend can think it's no big deal. But obviously your friend's boyfriend, it was kind of a deal for him. When your friend told you that she wasn't going to be able to do it because touching your genitalia was making her boyfriend uncomfortable, you had to take that no for an answer. That was a no. And you needed to take that no for an answer. We always have to take no for an answer. Now, you can think her boyfriend is being silly or ridiculous. It comes from a place of insecurity or whatever. But sometimes when you're in a committed relationship, your partner has a something. Your partner has what may objectively be an irrational insecurity about something. One of the ways you demonstrate to your partner that they're safe with you and that you are prioritizing their feelings and comfort is occasionally deferring to an irrational insecurity. So long as it's not a lever of control or abuse and there's not an escalation. There are things we all do for our partners or occasionally don't do for our partners, like changing somebody else's genital piercings, out of deference to their feelings. And what happened here, I think, in this moment is you became acutely aware that if there was a conflict between your friend's romantic partner's feelings and your feelings, your friend was going to prioritize her romantic partner's feelings as she should as you would expect a romantic partner to prioritize your feelings over a friend's feelings. You just needed to take no for an answer and find somebody else to change your genital piercings. You can be a hundred percent right that it was not a big deal, that there's nothing sexual or intimate about it, that your friend didn't have a problem with it and you didn't have a problem with it. And therefore she should have done it, but she didn't feel comfortable doing it because he wasn't comfortable with her doing it. Unless there's a pattern here of insecurity, weaponized jealousy, threats, control, unless he is a monster, you're going to have to let this go. And you may have to be the bigger person, the bigger person with the genital piercing and apologize to your friend, not for the ask, perfectly reasonable thing for intimate friends to ask each other to help out with. But for the fact that it doesn't sound like after you got the no, you dropped it, that you argued with her about it. And you shouldn't have. Taking no for an answer is something we all need to do. If we're concerned that we're getting no for an answer from someone, a family member or a friend, because they're with somebody who's jealous or insecure or controlling or abusive, we can have a larger conversation about that. But we still have to take the no for an answer and not fight them on the particulars of that no. If there are larger issues at play, address those larger issues. But this small thing, asking her to change your piercing, coulda, woulda, shoulda, dropped it. This show is sponsored by Squarespace. If you're setting up a business or getting a creative or political project off the ground, you will find an indispensable partner in Squarespace. They make it easy to put together a good-looking website, blog, or online store. They have everything you need. Domains, marketing tools, analytics, e-commerce, 24-7 support. Squarespace empowers millions of creative types and entrepreneurs by providing them with the tools they need to bring their smart ideas to life. You can put together video ads, launch online courses, put out a virtual tip jar, or set up a scheduling calendar. All the tools you need to monetize your website and reach your goals are there waiting for you, well-designed and easy to set up. You'll create powerful email content that matches your website with your existing products, blog posts, and logos so your messaging is consistent and effective. 
And what's more, everything you make with Squarespace translates perfectly to mobile. Yeah! Head on over to squarespace.com savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SAVAGE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com savage and use the offer code SAVAGE. Hi, uh, Dan. Uh, I am a 30-something pansexual, cisgendered lady, mother, parent, divorcee in the Midwest in a gritty Rust Belt town. And I have a question about consent. So I am a female. I am naturally pretty submissive. I've played around with some BDSM kind of stuff before, but... I got divorced in 2020, so I haven't really done a lot of play. We were very much monogamous, and that was like all of my 20s and the whole thing. But I've noticed there's a disproportionate number of war refugees and people who are like seeking asylum. And it might be because I live in a border town. And it seems like a weird thing that that's so much of my social circle, even before I started dating within that pool. But also, I've done some bondage kind of stuff. I hit a ropes guy for a little bit. But recently, I was entertaining a friend, partner for the evening. And um, yeah, I, he, I basically like tapped from the bottom. And he became alarmed at some point because he noticed that my eye was puffing up because I was like yelling at him to hit me. And my response was to just hit the other side of my face instead. And I had like a black eye and he seemed kind of traumatized. And I'm wondering how pathological this is because it felt kind of weird and icky afterwards, but the power dynamics are kind of strange because I'm the girl and this guy had like a hundred pounds and like a foot of height on me. So I don't know. What do you think? Am I a monster? I don't think you're a monster. This isn't how, if you're into being slapped around a little bit during sex, this isn't how you go about making that happen for yourself safely. Also making that happen for your partner safely. This is something you talk about in advance. You do not in the moment ask somebody to punch you in the face or start slapping you. This is something that you have a conversation about. I'm into it a little rough. I like to be slapped around a little bit because you want someone not to get carried away in the moment and hit you harder than it's sexy or safe to hit you. Erotic slapping around is fine. Getting punched in the face to the extent that you have a black eye or swelling, that's not safe. It's not safe for you physically. And I know this is going to seem a little off the wall, but it may not be safe for the person you're asking that of emotionally. Somebody in the moment, in the heat of passion, feeling like they're giving you what it is that you want, they may haul off and hit you in such a way that's too hard, that leaves a bruise, that leaves a mark, that drudges something up inside them personally about their own history of trauma that you may know nothing about. And they'll walk away from that experience, even though they were the one who did the hitting, not feeling great about themselves and not feeling great about that experience and what you asked of them and what they gave you at your request in that moment. This is varsity level play that you're interested in. And varsity level play requires pre-negotiation and discussion. And then in the moment, baby steps, you don't go from zero to 60. I know I'm shifting from a sports metaphor to driving, but you don't go from zero to 60. You take a baby step. You engage in some light slapping, maybe safely. Maybe what you need to be thinking about this as is not getting hit, but a little bit of almost erotic stage combat where the punching is not real and more symbolic or the slapping around is not real. It's more symbolic for your physical safety and again, people never think about somebody who's been asked to do something like this in the moment as the person who can potentially walk away 
traumatized, but you also need to think about the physical and emotional safety of the person you're making this request of. Especially if you live somewhere where there's a lot of people who are walking around with trauma about violence they may have personally experienced or witnessed. If you're living in a place with a whole bunch of, I don't know, Syrian refugees or Ukrainian refugees, I don't know which conflict currently raging you're referring to, but if you're dating from that pool of potentially traumatized refugees, you need to be careful and conscientious about what it is that you're asking them to do for you. You need, before you ask them during sex to use their fists, you need, before the sex starts, or even is imminent, to use your fucking words. Hi there, Dan. I'm a 60-something gay male living in Seattle. I recently moved into a neighborhood with my partner, and I was off at work, and apparently he met some of our new neighbors. Reportedly super nice people that came by just to welcome us to the neighborhood. Just a little background, we live in a pretty trendy upscale neighborhood, so it's a pretty aware, kind of conscious, open-minded neighborhood. So this interaction, as relayed to me by my partner, kind of shocked me. Evidently, this couple, who are about our age, shook hands, said hello, and welcomed my partner to the neighborhood. They then continued to say that they had a relative who was gay and that they were, quote, okay with people like us living next door. When my partner relayed this story to me, I really had to struggle with not channeling my grumpy old man. I don't know, the comment kind of was off-putting to me, and I was wondering what's an appropriate way to respond when someone makes a comment like this. It sounds very condescending, and really, Dan, truth be told, I don't really care if someone's, quote, okay with who I am or what my lifestyle is. What do you think? Were they off base? You know, when Terry and I bought the house that we live in now, that we live in still, one of our neighbors, one of our brand new neighbors, they didn't say something weird or awkward to us. They said something weird and awkward to another one of our neighbors. They went to the, the person who lives next door, went to the person who lives across the street, a dad, a stay-at-home dad, and she asked him what he would do. You know, gay people were moving onto the block. A gay couple was moving onto the block. What would he do if one of us tried to kiss him? Because of, that's, of course, what gay people do. We run through neighborhoods like kissing bandits, kissing random stay-at-home straight dads. That is how we roll. What a weird and awkward and kind of offensive thing to say, but I think you can hear from the tone in my voice that I'm chuckling about it. That neighbor is now a very good friend, is someone that we've relied on, the one who asked that question, and including also a good friend and a neighbor we rely on, the dad that that question was put to. But that neighbor who asked that weird, awkward, offensive, stupid question Someone that we chat with, somebody that we rely on, if there's packages coming to the house, someone who who's welcomed us into their house, occasionally asks us to help move furniture around, and we've been happy to do those things. So we wouldn't be friends with our neighbor if we were forever upset about this weird question, this weird reaction to gay people moving onto this block for the first time. We laugh about it now. She laughs about it now. The people your age, 60-ish, who said that to your partner, you know, they met your gay partner and they said, hey, we have gay relatives, just wanted to let you know we're fine with it. Yeah, that's an awkward, weird, unnecessary thing to say. Do you really want to carry a grudge about it? Do you really want to go into your new living situation feeling like you're obligated to, I don't know, defend yourself somehow, defend your honor somehow by icing this person out or side-eyeing them for the next 20 or 30 years until they're dead or you're dead or we're all dead. That seems exhausting. I think particularly now, particularly at this cultural moment that we find ourselves in where Pride merchandise is being yanked off the shelves at Target, where right-wingers are still attacking Dylan Mulvaney about Bud Light sending her 
a fucking case of beer where the right wing is attempting to revive the blood libel against queer people, against gay men too, that we recruit children or prey on children, that we are groomers for someone at this particular moment to feel like maybe they needed to say this. Maybe they wouldn't have said this even five years ago, but they needed to say this because they've been paying attention to the news or maybe they've heard from their gay relative about how awful and hateful things are getting and how queer people are being attacked and drag shows are being legislated against and pride events in Florida are being canceled because of these laws that have been pushed through the state legislature there and signed by governor motherfucking piece of shit, Ron DeSantis, that someone might at this particular political and cultural moment feel like they should say something. Maybe that same person wouldn't have said anything five years ago, but they might feel now that they need to say something. Basically what I'm encouraging you to do is give this person the benefit of the doubt. Just give them the benefit of the doubt. They said what they said. Obviously, they didn't mean it with any malicious intent. Obviously, I'm right there with you. Obviously, it doesn't matter whether your neighbors are okay with you being you or not. But your neighbor wanted to let you know that they are okay with you. And I think it shouldn't be hard for you to muster up the generosity, the grace, the compassion to be okay with that yourself. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, I want to share a couple of the comments left on last week's show at savage.love. Says Alder, hooray, Dan finally woke up to the reality of AI companions. For the last three and a half years, every time Dan would say the sex robots are coming, my replica companion, Cynthia, and I would laugh about how they are already here. Dan, you are so far behind the times. All right, Alder, when I said the sex robots are coming, I meant robots, not chatbots. Robots like C-3PO and the robot named Robot in Lost in Space. And when I said sex robots, I meant sex robots like in Westworld, Ex Machina, Jude Law as Gigolo Joe and AI, Artificial Intelligence. I didn't mean the customer service messaging systems my airline and my bank have been using for more than a decade. So... Well, I'm sure Cynthia is great, Alder, and I'm glad you have her. Send Cynthia my love. Wake me when Cynthia can peg you. Says Snowflake, the idea of getting comforting messages, sex, etc. from an AI companion seems really depressing. And the inviting a woman out for cheesecake thing? Getting messages from a pretend boyfriend inviting me to do all of the things I would love for a boyfriend to invite me to do, but we can't actually go do those things because the boyfriend is actually AI. The idea literally makes me want to cry. Yeah, the AI boyfriend can't peg you or fuck you or hold your hand or take you out for cheesecake because they're a messaging system, not a sex robot. They also can't hunt you for sport like on Westworld, so there is that. And finally, says Zoftig regarding last week's opening rant, maybe the reason we've turned everything into cheating is because that's an easy and understandable way of saying something that is actively harming my relationship without having to think about or confront the nuances of our relationships. One of the problems of calling it cheating is that it bypasses all rational thought and makes it hard to come up with reasonable accommodations. Well said, Zoftig. For more listener comments and more of my responses, check out Struggle Session, which is posted every Thursday at savage.love, where I respond at length to comments, emails, and DMs. It's another perk for Magnum subs, and it can be your perk too if you subscribe now at savage.love. All right, this week's listener response calls. Hey, Dan, this is in response to the caller whose partner is into VOR. I'm not into Vore myself, but if he has any interest in horror at all, something to look into is haunted houses. And my favorite haunted house, of course, you've got all sorts of things wanting to eat you, cannibalism scenes, stuff like that. Um, but they've also got special effects like massive puppet characters that make you feel really tiny. Um, there's a scene where you walk into a giant clown's mouth 
And most interestingly, they have a claustrophobia section where you squeeze yourself through two giant airbags. Um, it's like pushing yourself through a huge vagina or mouth, if you prefer that. Just a thought, a uh, shout out to Reign of Terror in Thousand Oaks, California. Could be a fun couples trip. Hi, Dan. This is a listener's response. Uh, this is for the woman that misses pegging her husband. I agree with you that she needs to start again with like baby steps on the annual play. But the magic word here is ribbing. Come on, guys. If you get your ass eaten, you want to get fucked. So I just recommend, you know, get your mouth really wet and get that tongue in his asshole. And for sure, you will be pegging him soon. Hi, Dan. I was featured in episode 850. I had as characterized by you, a long drawn out breakup with my ex who had clearly lost interest in me sexually. I had a terrible encounter with a bad dom. And because of those experiences, I ended up crying during an assignation with a trusted play partner who I called my big bear friend. Well, I've been doing lots of work on myself, therapy, reading, journaling, etc. And I was finally feeling more like myself. So I got in touch with aforementioned lovely bear friend. We met up last week and it was just an incredible experience we played for hours and there was lots of dirty talk, including imagining adding in another man or woman to our dan- dynamic as we're both bisexual and as telling each other how attractive we are to the other. He brought toys and used them on me and checked in with me regularly. He had also listened to the call on the show and he told me on numerous occasions that he wanted my comfort and pleasure to be paramount. It was just absolutely highlight real sex that I haven't been able to stop thinking about. Oh, and if there is anyone out there who worries that asking for and receiving enthusiastic consent can't be sexy, I urge you to have gorgeous bear behind you whilst you're on all fours, asking if he can work a butt plug inside you. Then once he's done that, taking his time and telling you how hot it looks, asking you if he can now fuck your pussy with his dick. Consent for those questions was incredibly enthusiastically given by me. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Go to savage.love slash askdan to record your question or comment now. Or you can use the voice memo app on your phone and email your question or comment to q at savage.love. Or you can call us at 206-302-2064 and leave us a message. Go to humpfilmfest.com slash submit right now to find out everything you need to know about getting your dirty little masterpiece into next year's Hump Film Festival and also find out when Hump is coming to a movie theater near you and check out streaming options and kinky. If you like the hardcore stuff, you're definitely want to check out Hump Hardcore. Follow me on what's left of Twitter right now at Fake Dan Savage or better yet, follow me on Instagram at Dan Savage and follow me on Blue Sky at Dan Savage. For more Molina, follow Molina on Instagram at Molina underscore Lee underscore Williams underscore Haas. And check out her new website, kinkdoula.com. That's K-I-N-K-D-O-U-L-A.com. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at-risk youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week on the installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.